0: I need the biggest glass of wine I can possibly pour. Do you see this like in ratio to my skull?
1: (laughs) I was going to say the best part is that we both poured ourselves a glass of white wine. But when I poured mine, I did like half. And then I was like, no, I need a Southern pour. And when I logged on. I never pour
0: mine like this much. that's
1: That's what they call a Southern pour.
0: Absolutely, 100%. 100%. Did you appreciate my Nancy Grace impression that I sent to you? Loved. I was making myself laugh about it.
1: Loved. Oh, my God. There was something I, you said that was so on the nose. Um like I I know mothers like her or whatever you said. That's what she
0: said. Yeah, because I was my the only like reference I have in my mind is what I used to see where when she would cover Casey Anthony because she like helped elevate that case on TV. But she go Casey Anthony is a mother like no other I have encountered in my 20 years on the fort. Like That's was she even, was she an officer? Like what was she?
1: <laughs> well, she <laughs> what, was what, 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 a <laughs> lawyer, wasn't she?
0: She, I've been a prosecutor for (laughs) more than twenty years.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The way, the cadence in which you say Casey Anthony (laughs) is—that's what she says. (laughs) Literally, Nancy Grace. Like I feel like I'm listening to Nancy Grace.
0: Oh, turn on cable television. I don't even know what channel she was on. It was like something in the. uh, What was it?
1: I mean, I swear I thought she was on Fox. I thought. Was uh, she? Like, wait, because it the was... The channels... Okay,
0: the channels changed when I was a kid. Like, all the, the Disney, Nickelodeon, they yeah. all used to be in, like, the 50s for, like, my area in Connecticut, mm-hmm. and then they all changed to the 40s, and everything got dispersed, and I was, like, my world was rocked. Oh, my gosh.
1: Yeah, I feel like it was a major... It actually might have been... No, I don't think it was CNN. I was going to say, it could have been CNN before they became, like, a little bit more... Not a little bit. What way more, more Left-leaning. Mm-hmm.
0: What's Nancy Grace on? Casey Anthony. <laughs> she's gonna be at um CrimeCon if we can get an invite. We can I can do this impression for her in person.
1: Oh my I, I would lose my mind if we met Nancy Grace.
0: She okay, she's a political commentator. How come it doesn't tell me what her show was on? Okay, Nancy Grace TV program. Let's see. What was the network? the original network was HLN. What is that?
1: Oh, HLN. Um...
0: Oh, it was CNN. It's owned by CNN.
1: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: I have broken many cases in the past. (laughs) I have to stop. Okay. (gasps) Well, welcome everybody to Creep Time, the podcast with your hosts, Silas Dean and Stu. Hi. I just slammed into my desk I was <laughs> I went, with Silas <laughs> Dean and Sue. Boom. Boom.
1: <laughs> I was going to do a Nancy Grace like, ha, hello. But I was just like, I, I don't even know. I can't. I don't know what she would you say. You need to
0: jump off. It needs to be a jump off sentence. Like okay. I said, it has to be Casey Anthony. Like that is the way in. <laughs> a mother. The way she says mother.
1: Mother. I've never
0: seen a mother like that. But hello, everybody. Thank you for listening. Um, this is a different episode for us, Stu, because you are fully prepped on this case, so you're not going into this blind. You know the story of Tanzler's doll.
1: I know the story. I don't know it as well as you, I feel like, but I, I, I have some context. Usually I go in so blind to these things, um, and I'm excited. It's, this
0: is a... This is a wild story for you to like come in on fully prepped. I know we both got, we jumped onto the podcast today, and the first thing we saw on camera was us both drinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first thing you see. Like, I,
1: if that doesn't say it, if this this case, and I know you'll launch in, but like it got more and more and more and more cuckoo. Like as it, it's goes. relentless. It's crazy. Yeah.
0: I I had heard about it years ago, but I don't think I had ever done like thorough research on it. So jumping into like the story behind Carl Tanzler and everything that he did, I was like, it seemed unfathomable, but also the aftermath of it was even wilder to me. Like the public reception to what happened. Yes. It's, it's a whole conversation we can get into. Um, I'm going to jump in straight away before I do with just a few orders of business. I want to say thank you to everybody, all of the creepers who have been listening to creep time, the podcast, because this case is a suggestion from several people, uh, who have suggested on both YouTube and TikTok? I should get a name pulled up. Let me see. Cause it's come through a good number of times, but I think the one that convinced me was something I saw on YouTube here. You embellish for a minute. I'll look up.
1: I was going to say, what was, um, what was her name? The, the girl, I was just say, was it? Oh, y- Yelena? <laughs> Yelena. Yelena. Hoyos? It's Yelena from the grave. <laughs> That's been <laughs> removed. Um,
0: <laughs> you that's um that's getting cut. <laughs> I won't cut it. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, the editors will deal. Um who who suggested this? Hold on. Here again. Oh yeah yeah. Okay, so it was Michael M. I'm sorry, I wish you had a last name, but that's all your name is listed as. But you commented on Creep Time the Podcast on YouTube saying, I am here again. Please do Carl Tanzler here. I am dying to see her reaction referencing to you.
1: Oh my gosh. So, well, that's Michael Myers for anybody that's that's Michael Myers.: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Not to be confused with the voice actor of Shrek, fabulous films. but
1: No, I was thinking Michael like Myers. Michael Myers, like Halloween.
0: Oh, I know, I know. I'm just saying, oh. not to be confused with our <laughs> Michael Byers, <laughs> not to be confused with Austin Powers for anybody who's listening. But again, to the Creepers, thank you so much for suggesting that. We are so happy to honor this case and talk about it and, and decipher what the hell happened. I will say, for anybody who's listening who keeps spreading the word about Creep Time, the podcast, thank you for doing so. That is a huge help when you tell your friends, your family, and you get them involved in true crime. So without further ado, Stu, are you ready? I'm ready. All right, should we take a sip before we get into this because this is going to yeah, be a
1: absolutely. lot? Yeah, um, absolutely. All right, all right. Cheers, cheers
0: to <laughs> cheers to whatever we're about to endure.
1: Cheers to crazy
0: the ladies who lunch. <laughs> Everybody laugh. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Patty Lapone, she she resigned from Equity. We can't get into it, but I'll just let that sit <laughs> I was in the say, Let I was that say, sit in the ether. She's eventually going
1: <laughs> to start pulling like royalties from each episode.
0: <laughs> I have to stop. I'll start cutting her out. I'm sorry. All right. So the story of Tansler's doll. When you researched it, did you see it labeled as Tansler's doll? Because not everybody calls it that. Um, I think that's the most sinister title to call it.
1: I did. I did see. Well, that was the first um, description you gave me. So that's what I Googled right off the bat. Um, but yeah, I've, I've a lot of my research just kind of came from uh, his backstory and Mm -hmm. um but yeah
0: i it's funny because the reception to this story some people don't see it as horrific as others which i think is shocking but a lot of people refer to it under a different title or a different name um i don't want to say that glorifies it but definitely softens it like they call it like the love story of of i don't know the deceased or something like it's it's very much like in his favor or in support of him yeah so weird. Um, I did do some research, as you saw when I came on, about necrophilia. So we're gonna get into that a little bit later because um, it's kind of interesting. Unless you heard it all already when you came on.
1: No, I didn't. I didn't. I. Um, okay. <laughs> but I knew what necrophilia was before. But this like mm-hmm. takes it to a whole nother level. Like, um, yeah, and well,
0: there's there's a whole argument around it too that this isn't even textbook necrophilia because it's not that he's necessarily obsessed with corpses he's obsessed with a corpse a woman
1: yes and this like figure that he's been imagining for years and years and years like which we'll get into but um
0: yeah we got we got to stop and talk about that at some point because i don't know what that's about um but let me refresh i'll give a top line for everybody just on what this story is about so the story of Carl Tanzler and Elena De Hoyos uh, is one of obsession that has has been taken to an unthinkable extreme. This is not a story of stalking and murder. This is about a person who is being stalked after they're dead. That alone is the freakiest thing about all of this. Like the thought of of an obsession after death, just. Since chills down my spine, but I want to give a little bit of backstory on who the two characters of this story really are. Um, so we'll start with uh, Elena de Hoyos and who she was. So her full name was Maria Elena Milagro Hoyos. I hope I pronounced that correctly. She was born in 1909, um, but more commonly referred to, and as you'll hear in this story, she is referred to as Elena, and she was the middle child born to a Cuban-American family Uh, with her father, Francisco, and her mother, Aurora. Um, And they were born, all of these children, in Key West, Florida. And by all of the research that I found, she had a pretty normal life as a teenager, growing up through the 20s. She was a devout Catholic. Uh, She enjoyed seeing movies. She liked to cook for her family. She was very social and would go dancing at the club um, La Brisa. Uh, And she was looking forward to her future. And it's also said that she was extremely beautiful. And I've seen pictures of her. She was beautiful. Uh, and she is very much like how Carl Tanzler describes, which we'll get into. Um, she was described as slightly shy, and she was a very accomplished singer. I had never heard that before in any coverage of this story, to the point where people who were local to the Key West area knew her, and tourists would actually stop her to, to ask for pictures. Um, so then if we fast forward a little bit... Uh, through her, her later teens. She's about 16 years old when she ends up getting married to Louise Mesa, um, and they are expecting their first child around 16, 17. Unfortunately, this would mark sort of the the beginning of this, like, host of tragedies that would plague this poor girl. So she miscarried her first child, and then she gradually becomes ill with a cough shortly after. But her family had kind of assumed that... This was just, you know, depression or it was postpartum depression following the death of the child. Um, but her cough never recovered. So then they started to become concerned. Uh, and tuberculosis at the time was the most prominent cause of death um, for all ages, all demographics. And her father was working in a cigar factory at the time. So a lot of tuberculosis was going around at the factory. So we think through the research that he may be carried it home and then gave it to her when maybe she was susceptible shortly after the miscarriage. So she becomes ill, and following the miscarriage and falling ill, this guy, <laughs> um, just her husband just leaves her. He just goes to Miami and just left her alone to deal with her illness and her family's care. So he flees to Miami. That's where she's at. So then we get into Carl Tansler and a little bit about who he was. So Tansler was born in Dresden, Germany, in 1877. He's considerably older than Yelena. I think he was probably early to mid-50s, right? While she was... When this all happens, when she's like in her early 20s. Yep. So after graduating from a medical university, he left for Australia, where during World War One he ended up in an internment camp. And then after the war, former prisoners were not allowed to stay in the country. So he gets deported... Back to Holland, but at the time there were no real sort of financial prospects in Europe, so he decides he is going to come to the United States. And he already had a sister who had, was living in Florida, so he had passage in a way, you know, he had a place to go. So in 1926, um, Carl, with his then wife and two daughters, moved to Zephyr Hills, Florida. I had never heard of that, but I think that's how it's pronounced. Um, and it's around this time that he submits his documentation for U.S. citizenship where he calls himself Karl Tanzler von Kussel. Is that how it's pronounced? I think so. Von Kusel. <laughs> von Kussel. Um, Karl Tanzler von Kussel, He. This is sort of adjacent to the story that he would tell people that he is like a descendant or a relative from Countess von Kussel. So he took the last name, none of which is probably legitimate at all. This is a complete a completely made up thing. Um, but this ties into these visions that you were talking about a little bit earlier when he was younger and he would claim to see visions of this relative who would come to him and she would show him this woman who was supposedly the love of his life. And the way he described her was always this young, very beautiful sort of dark haired woman who we would come to learn is sort of an exact match to Yelena. Um, so then in 1927, not sure why, he ends up leaving his family in Zephyr Hills, and he got a job as an x-ray technician in the Marine Hospital on Key West. And this is where everything goes down. What are your thoughts on Carl so far? Because you, you know like, some of his backstory. It sounds like you did most of your research on him.
1: I did, and from what I gathered, the guy had a screw-loose since day one, um, mm-hmm. and it's just unfortunate, uh, and I know we'll get into it, that Yelena ends up being kind of the victim to his crazy, irrational visions of this woman that he's been imagining his whole life. Um,
0: I, I was trying to understand what that was about in his childhood. Uh, is it very common for young boys to have schizophrenic hallucinations from such a young age. I think that comes later, like in your twenties.
1: It should. Yeah. I, that's what really struck me is that he, um, from a very young age seems to have like suffered from like delusions of, you know, grandeur or like, um, uh, almost like invincibility in a weird way. Like he seems like he thinks he's out of the realm of like this planet, this universe. Like it's just bizarro. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I I have no idea how to decipher what, what was going on in his head or, or what was the inciting incident. I did find some stuff, and you can tell me if you found this in your research, that mm-hmm. suggests that he came from a pretty rough childhood in terms of abandonment that his family had sort of left him.
1: Oh, interesting. I didn't um, research that, but I, I researched, or I didn't research, but from the research I gathered that um, a lot of psychologists think that the internment camp might have been what flipped the switch. And the time he spent really? there is what kind of triggered him to go into this, like, kind of kooky headspace. Not kind that of sense, kooky yeah. headspace.
0: It's, it's probably the kookiest you can get, <laughs> yeah. I would say. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't think it gets much worse than what's about to happen here. But, yeah, I, I'm totally tracking with that. So if we're leading into what actually happens... Um, so let's see, on the sto- our story, it begins at the Marine Hospital in Key West, like I said, where Carl Tanzler has, he got himself a job. He is a, uh, a technician, a radiology technician. So this is when 22-year-old Yelena uh, Hoyos, she comes in feeling ill, and her family brought her in because they wanted to do some tests, and she finally meets Carl Tanzler. Um, they just cross paths, who at the time, again, count Carl von Kusel. <laughs> um, and he sees her, and he's immediately struck because in his mind she is the exact vision that he remembered from being a child when he was visited by this this apparition sh- showing him who his true love would be and it's this girl this woman Elena so she comes into the hospital she's diagnosed with tuberculosis um which was terminal at the time i think i heard on another podcast um it might have been morbid that it was like one in 7 living people at the time would die from tuberculosis mm-hmm which is insane to me. Um, And although not being an actual doctor, Carl Tanzler, after he saw her and had this love at first sight experience, was determined to save her life. So with her family's approval, he started trying out different remedies on this girl. So there are a lot of sources that talk about like these concoctions and these potions and like tinctures that he was making. And um, according to the, (laughs) you'll love this, (laughs) <laughs> the Ghost City Tours website, um, the morbid tale of Count Von Kussel and Yelena de Hoyos, Tanzler had administered very painful treatments that were using um, devices, including electrodes. So he, what he thought was if he could charge her oxygen electrons using electrodes, it could possibly cure her and just eradicate the virus from her body. Like, not founded in any sort of science whatsoever, just full... Full hypothesis full full random guinea pig level experience or experiments
1: can I add something to that that i heard
0: yeah, absolutely what did wait, what did you hear
1: that he also administered some of the electrotherapy on her family so that they knew that it wasn't going to damage her,
0: oh my god,
1: yeah, like they i guess the family was curious about um Like, they were just nervous as to why he was doing it. And he assured them that it was mild enough that nothing would happen. And so apparently, like, did a mild electrotherapy on, like, some of her family members to prove that they would, like, survive it and sustain.
0: I did not remember (laughs) reading that. Damn. Can we talk about that family for a second? Like, how okay they seem to be? I I can kind of imagine that, like, because she was, like, discharged from the hospital because, like, she was contagious. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm sure they were hoping, even if he wasn't a doctor, they were like, we will take anything, anything to try to save her life. Of course, like, come to our house with your pseudo-medical expertise and (laughs) your potions.
1: Yeah, and I'm sure it's like an immigrant family, like this man that's, Mm -hmm. you know, dignified or count, you know, whatever. They're probably like, okay, like, we'll believe that this is legit.
0: That's what I'm gathering from him. That he has a sort of charismatic, um, maybe not charm, but just a delivery that feels confident enough mm-hmm. in his own delusions that that makes other people feel secure. Because people who present as confident, even when they're full of shit, they they really do put a lot of people at ease. Because that's what everybody wants. They just want someone who to be the parent in the situation.
1: I imagine he was an incredibly persuasive human being.
0: I I would say so. Like leading into what happens here, but at this time he's also steal- you probably read this he's stealing like a massive amount of medical equipment and medications from the hospital um which he will eventually get caught for and he gets fire- fired um he gets fired <laughs> <laughs> this, I wish this is when I wish Sof- it was that low the take it over <laughs> <laughs> so he gets fired he gets fired <laughs> <laughs>
1: Please. Oh my
0: god, I'm not even through the exposition. She hasn't even died yet. Jesus Christ.
1: That that's what that's what Donald Trump should have sounded like on The Apprentice. You're fired. You fired. You're fired.
0: It's like it reminds me of like Oliver. It's like,
1: you're fired, mate.
0: Please, sir. Please. So Let's see. So he steals all this medical equipment. He's got all these medications he's taking. It eventually, like I said, gets him fired. Um, But at the time, he's thinking, great, now I have all this time to commit towards saving the love of my life. Uh, So he desperately tried to save her, as we mentioned, through all of these things. Um, And at the time, he's also showering her with gifts, telling her that he loves her, none of which we should mention is ever once reciprocated by this poor woman. Not once. Is she like, Absolutely. You're the love of my life, too. She is an ill terminal woman who is just being inundated with gifts and treatments, painful treatments. And I think her family are are she's also like up against her family because they're kind of siding with him because he presents himself as someone who has the medical knowledge and background, but also the only person who's trying to save her because she was sent home with a death sentence, really. Mm hmm. So, despite his best efforts, uh, Elena de Hoyos died on October 25th, 1931. And at the time, the family is grief-stricken, but Tanzler insisted on paying for her funeral, <laughs> um, complete with a full mausoleum. So her family consented to this because he had more money saved than they did at the time, and, of course, they were grief-stricken, so you just want somebody to kind of take the reins you know, um, you just want someone to take care of you when you're going through grief. Um, But they were not aware to the agreement of the mausoleum that he, because he was paying for it, and this is why he did, would be the only person to receive a key to the mausoleum, which I think is strange. Was that always common? That, like, when mausoleums are built, that, like, anyone outside of, like, uh, I don't know, the, the owner of the cemetery would have a key to it?
1: So in the research I did the people that built the mausoleum did mm-hmm. not know that the family would not also receive the key. Um, so no one oh. knew that only he had a copy of the key. Um,
0: no, not, wow. Like, not So even... did they just make one, they just made one key and he was like, I'll distribute this. Yeah. I'll I, send I, it I'm out. pretty sure. <laughs> I'm
1: pretty sure. Like, if I had to guess, that's kind of what I deduced from how it went down.
0: The trust is unmatched. Yeah. Unmatched from mm-hmm. <laughs> all of these people, just mm-hmm. allowing this man to like run rampant. So, let's see. So, she has died. The mausoleum is constructed and she is embalmed, and then she is interred in the Key West Cemetery. So, after she's placed in the mausoleum, Tansler ends up visiting her grave nightly. This is how it starts, right? Like, the, mm-hmm. the slow, like, I don't I don't know if I could say like dipping the toe in the pond kind of thing, you know, he's showing up, he's leaving gifts inside the mausoleum. Uh he even had a telephone. Did you read this? He had a telephone installed so he could call the tomb from home no. even after he left. You never read that? No. Yeah, he I, which I never understood how that worked. It must have acted as some kind of an intercom cuz like who's picking up? <laughs>
1: like well, <laughs> I guess Yelena. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, So he has, like, basically what I'm assuming is, like, an intercom um, installed so that he can go home, pick up the phone or something like a phone, and just chat with her. Like, he's gabbing on the phone to, like, a long-distance lover. So that's installed. Um, But it's not enough. This goes on for two years, and it ends up not being enough. And I don't know if you, you read this as well, but the original reason that he wanted her above ground, I don't think it was... Maybe, I mean, he had this plan all along, but I don't think it was that he could one day get access to her corpse. It was because he was afraid if she was buried underground that the water would seep into the the casket and it would eventually ruin her beauty. He was very, very concerned from the get-go about preserving her and just making sure that she stayed as she was. So then we fast forward to these two years later when he does something horrific. On an evening in April 1933, Tansler crept through the cemetery where Elena was buried or was, in, you know, entombed in this mausoleum, and he removed her body from the casket, carting it from the cemetery in the dark in a toy wagon and transported it home. And he reportedly would end up saying that Yelena's spirit would come to him, you know, when he would sit by her grave and, you know he would serenade her corpse with her favorite Spanish songs at the time. And he also said that, you know, she would often tell him her spirit because again, he's still having visions of spirits that, you know, she would say, come take me, like take me home, take me from this lonely grave. So he now has her body, takes her home. And I'm sure this is the part of the research where you lost your f***ing mind. <laughs>
1: was, you know I did. <laughs>
0: to hear what he did. So Tanzler takes the body, And he attached the corpse, uh, because it's two years later, like, she's starting to fall apart a little bit. Um, He starts attaching the bones using piano wire, which he had, he was threading through her like he was sewing. And then, you know, her eyes were gone, so he ends up fitting the face with glass eyes and as the skin of the corpse started to sort of fall off and decompose, he ends up replacing it with silk cloth that he soaked in wax and to finish the job, he uses plaster of Paris, kind of like a something adjunct to paper mache we could say and her hair starts to fall out of course cuz the scalp is decomposing so he ends up fastening a wig to the skull which he got from her mother did you read that yes oh my god cuz i think he had lied to the mother maybe he did have this plan all along cuz he had lied to the mother prior to the burial where he was like does she do you have any like hair pieces or wigs for like the i don't know the preparation and like the presentation before the burial so the mother provided a wig Mm -hmm. so he fastens that to the scalp um he had also filled the abdominal cavity and the chest cavity with rags to kind of keep her shape keep the form of her body and he had dressed her in stockings in jewelry and gloves um all of these accessories and reportedly kept the body in his bed And, you know, to mask the smell of this ongoing decomposition, he was using copious amounts of perfumes and disinfectants to try to keep insects away, and just a lot of preserving agents to mask the odor and try to keep her from decomposing any further. Like, she's, this is years now that this body is just sitting out in the open. So it was described that he slept in bed with this corpse for years, and they had a modesty curtain that he had built between them to kind of protect her privacy during the night um, but upon further inspection this would later come in I think s- several different autopsies it's alleged um, after the corpse was found that it was described there was a tube or some kind of a like a pipe that was positioned and secured to her genital area and it's believed he was using this to be intimate with the corpse
1: oh. the way you're adjusting this <laughs> right You're <laughs> I'm, like, I'm,
0: look, I'm watching your face, and you're such an uncomfortable place. You're
1: like, I'm just imagining all right. Nancy Grace's <laughs> reaction. Carl
0: Tansler yeah. is unlike any husband I've seen. He removed Yelena Hoyos. She would say Yelena Hoyos
1: yeah. from
0: her grave. What, can you tell me a little bit of insight? What do we know about this, case?
1: <laughs> he put a tube <laughs> Not a tube. A tube. <laughs> oh, holy! <fuck. laughs> I'm crying.
0: <laughs> Stu, that was so good. That was such a good impression.
1: <laughs> oh my god! I just had to tap into it. I had to hear you do it a couple times. <laughs> I
0: think you said the delivery on on tube was really something. <laughs> I got I got to give you a hand. That was incredible. Uh, so yes. As horrific as this is, um, she's found with this, with this tube. <laughs> um, so the, the, the ruse, I guess, um, of Yelena's body and sleeping with this body would last for close to a decade, as you've probably seen. And then Tanzler's behavior after, you know, seven or eight years had passed became very unusual. So a lot of people started to become suspicious, spe- specifically people who knew him. And I was like, this man had friends? This That's man great. socialized with people? <laughs> right. But he was seen, I mean, w- whether he was with people he knew or strangers in the town, purchasing women's clothing and purchasing perfumes, but nobody ever saw him out with a woman. Um, and then one night, a young neighbor saw him across the street, saw through the window that he appeared to be dancing with what this kid described as a life-size doll in the window. So then these rumors start kind of like, I, I don't know, germinating, and like it becomes a fantastical story. Like, did you hear about Carl Tansler? Like... He's got Elena Hoyos, but it seems like a rumor that's it's it's just a story like a, a sensational story that's could never be true, but eventually chatter of this ends up getting back to the sister um the Hoyos' sister so in nineteen forty this is when the rumor reaches um Florinda the sister's ears, and she decides that she is going to go pay Tansler a visit because again, like he knew the family pretty well um I think in her worst version of this, in her worst case scenario nightmare, she would have thought he took the body in the casket and removed it from the mausoleum and maybe kept it like in his yard or buried it in his yard or something. She, I think that's what she thinks she's going to confront him on because what she saw, she described that she didn't even believe at first. She, she Her mind had like warped to be like, that's not what that is. That's something else. So she drops it on him unannounced and Tanzler this, this also plays into, like, why she didn't believe it. Tanzler, like, willingly shows the sister to Yelena's body. And then, according to this, like, 2017 article that I found that was um, titled, Carl Tanzler fell in love with his patient then lived with her corpse. Um, Florinda saw this, and she thought it was an effigy to her sister. She thought it was, like, a, a life-size doll that he made as, like, a tribute to Yelena. She had no idea that this was her actual body.
1: The OG Pascualita. <laughs>
0: This is one this is absolutely
1: Pascualita.
0: Actually, did Pascualita come before this? I think Pascualita was like 1919 or something.
1: <gasps> oh man. Yeah.
0: Pascualita's old. She's an old girl. She's over a hundred years old. Ah. Um so however, it is later discovered that it was actually the corpse. So she I think she I remember hearing another video where she realized this because she's like talking to him about this life-size doll and she's like did you make this doll of my sister? Like, what are you doing? And he was like, no, that is your sister. Like, he like, fully confesses to her <laughs> in plain speech. And from, the, from what I remember reading about this and hearing in videos, the way she described her experience of, like, coming to the realization that she's sitting in a room with Carl Tanzler and just to her left or something is the full corpse of her sister dressed in plaster and, like, jewels and a wig she became like eerily calm where she she almost immediately knew like i am now sitting in the face of someone who is extremely delusional and like sick and potentially dangerous and she's tried to like plead with him in a very like calm way where she was like carl like it's not right you know she she deserves to be laid to rest you can't keep her here kind of thing and he was like no she wants to be here and she was she's like well I can't stop you. You are her husband, so I'll leave you then. And then immediately runs off and breaks down in hysterics and goes to the police. Right. <laughs> like, but tried to play it very cool and at the time, so like I said, Tansler he admits to breaking into the tomb on April of 1933. He used the cart to transport the body back and he had had that body in his possession for seven years. So police do come in, he is arrested, the body is recovered. And an, an initial autopsy would expose all of these extensive modifications we talked about to retain the shape. He had He had coat hangers in her, he had wires, he had stuffed that torso with more than just rags, plaster all over the face um, that he was touching up with like mortician's wax. Uh, and just the eeriest part to me is the dressing up, the routine changing of the clothes, the, sh- the, the shoes, the jewelry, the stockings, Oh my God.
1: And, and like sit. imagining. <laughs> yeah. And like imagining that she's telling him like, I would love it if you would get me like this kind of dress or this jewelry, yes. this perfume. Like, it's ah! it's the
0: person the mental personification of Yelena in his mind as as like a, a living entity that's kind of guiding this whole experience for almost a decade is the most insane part to this.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But believe it or not, the story gets crazier <laughs> for yeah. anyone who's listening who doesn't know it. So he is arrested, and all of this um, is assessed because it it was horrific. Um, But what they later find in his home is that this, like, makeshift laboratory where he was doing all of these modifications to her, he had built it in the shape of an airplane, um, which he had named Yelena's Airship, because his eventual plan was that he was going to find a way to get this plane or this, like, (laughs) pseudo-rocket to fly up to space because he believed that if he could get her body... To the stratosphere, the radiation from outer space could penetrate her tissues and would restore life into her body. It's important that I tell you that, because what comes next is ridiculous. So despite all of that, he is deemed not insane after a psychiatric evaluation, (laughs) and he is fit to stand trial. And you're like, okay, well, that's not the worst case scenario, because he's going to be tried and he's going to be sentenced, right? Possibly put to death for what he just did. Um, So he is charged, you know, officially with destroying a grave, removing a body without authorization. However, the charges are dropped because the statute of limitations had expired because it had been a f***ing decade.
1: When I got to that part, I was like, oh (laughs) my God.
0: It's an injustice like (laughs) I've never seen in my 20 years on the force.
1: He put a to <laughs> <laughs> so... you. I mean, not only the statute of limitations being up, but the research that I did that described how many people sided with him, signed petitions to make sure that Even he. Even
0: to this day. Even to this day, still. Yes, I know. People are like, there's
1: people that he like was romanticize a hopeless romantic. romantic. <laughs> yes. Like, you know what I kept thinking about was like these, you see them sometimes, um, I don't know, on like TLC, these people that like are having sexual relations with like ghosts and pirates. Yeah, it's like so my strange addiction. Yeah. Yes. And I was like, this was like the first version of that, sort of.
0: I I mean, if you haven't seen someone have an intimate relationship with a roller coaster on TLC, you were born (laughs) before the 90s. I can just tell you that. Right, right. That that has like altered my brain chemistry to see those TLC and My Strange Addictions. They started off kind of slow, where they were like, I eat plaster. I eat, like, I don't know, I love sniffing gasoline. Mm -hmm. That's pretty timid compared to, like, I'm in a long term sexual relationship with a plane. I know. (laughs) <laughs> ah. so I mean well that's that's kind of like a perfect Tia because so after his arrest the public's reaction was sympathetic by all accounts Tansler he wasn't viewed um, with disdain or as this monster he was viewed with pity and he, the people just saw him as this kind of lonely eccentric like hopeless romantic and before her remains were actually laid to rest again um, her modified corpse is put on display in the same funeral home where over Up to 6,800 people came to see these remains. Why would they put that on display? Why would they allow... I mean, I understand the idea of maybe people coming to pay respects to like a corpse that had been desecrated, but why are you putting this science project out for
1: the world to come and gawk at? It's so dark. Can I just be like so real right now? Can you imagine if this had been a woman that had done this to a man?
0: I, I can't. I actually can't imagine. I can't. Like,
1: the, <laughs> like, the ego that is happening here that, like, this guy is like, I did it for love and is able to pull it off. Yeah. And, like, make it almost like he's this incredible physician that was able to preserve his body. Like,
0: oh my God. What? It's the assumption of always being in the right. Yeah. He's like, at, at no point was he ever like, I did something wrong. Right. That never once dawned on Tansley's mind. Oh, but I mean, for her protection, uh, you know, for the protection of this corpse, they have to put it in an unmarked grave because they're afraid it's going to happen again. Because Tansler, at this point, although being charged, the charges are eventually dropped and he's a free man. So they're afraid he's going to do it again. So they just put it in an unmarked grave in the cemetery, which she deserved much better than that. Um, and this argument that kind of, you know, stood was that, like I said, Tansler wasn't obsessed with corpses per se but specifically obsessed with um, Elena de Hoyos. And no matter how bizarre you kind of view this, his eventual plan, I guess, in his mind, was to bring her back to life. And the obsession is just kind of fueled by delusions and this like faux otherworldly connection that he thinks he has to her. Uh, and somehow that was able to like justify and make living with the corpse for 10 years tolerable, in his mind. So like I said, following the hearings and all of the insane media coverage around this, he eventually moves back to Zephyr Hills, Florida, where his his original wife is still living. Um, he did not move in with the wife, uh, but he did live near her, and she continued to support him financially. I think up until the, to the end of his life, he would live to like 75. And you know what he did after all this? After he goes through all of this in the 1940s and like the, the case gets dropped, whatever, he moves he moves away. He starts writing books. <laughs> he just starts writing books. <laughs> and he made another doll. He made a life-size doll based off of a death mask that he had made of Yelena's face. And he just made a like an at-home doll of her. <laughs> the same thing just repeated. He was like, well, if I can't have her corpse, I'll just, this will be fine.
1: I thought you were I'm going done. to say... i I know, I know. <laughs> I thought you were going to say what I researched, which was that he... And maybe this was... I can't remember if it was prior to him moving back to Florida, but he um, created basically a museum out of his uh, laboratory, and he would charge you a quarter to come in and see where he had stuffed her and <laughs> basically made her doll.
0: He made a commodity out of his horror. Yes. I did not read that. That's yes. <laughs> blowing my mind in the saddest way possible right now.
1: I also That's horrible. I have two other little nuggets that I didn't want Please. to stop you on, but I was like, "Oh." So in his, well, maybe you get to this. Are you going to launch into his like writings, like what he wrote about about
0: No, no. I was going I was going to like button it up with his death. Okay. <laughs> the, the real okay. part I've been looking forward to.
1: So what really like solidified for me that like, oh, this guy is, I mean, I knew he was insane, but he mm-hmm. said that when he took her body out of the, uh, mausoleum that, mm-hmm. uh, he, so he said she had been singing to him from the, from the grave. And that was what was Oh, she said she's serenading him. She's serenading too. him. Okay. To come get her from the grave, singing the song that he claimed was, like, the song of their love and whatever. And he said when he was (laughs) carting her freaking body with the wooden, uh, the uh, like, little toy wagon, that Mm -hmm. all of the spirits from the cemetery came and ushered them out and congratulated them as if they were walking down the aisle. Like, like throwing the confetti, basically. <laughs> so he said it was this glorious wedding march. Um, through <laughs> to okay, let me let me let me even top it here. He had rented, he had basically air freaking b would a home right next to the cemetery so he could store her for a little bit.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, and then I thought he
0: took her straight home.
1: Well, unless that was his home, but he had apparently rented a home right next to the cemetery so he could oh no take her there. And maybe that ended up being the home. Maybe that's actually where he ended up staying, but he had...
0: It's like a honeymoon pad. Yeah, it's like... It's a the, honeymoon yes, pad.
1: Yes, 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 oh, yes. Oh, God. And to that, consummate the marriage. And that would he... So actually my my research, and it's funny because I remember reading that there's been different accounts from how he got the body out. The research I did said he kept it in the casket, which I was like, "How do you keep a casket on a toy wagon?" It makes more sense that you would take the body, but um, yeah, apparently her face had um, like so much of the casket uh, cloth, like the velvet or whatever that they put, that it was all oh, stuck really? to her face, and so he like for months would like go and sit and pluck piece like little piece. fibers Just- out of her. Face and like it was like his like love, his like practice. It was like what I imagine people like that do just to gave like me the
0: darkest chills. Oh my <laughs> to god. To like knit
1: to like calm themselves down. He would sit and pull every little thread out of her face. And like then... a crochet circle? Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh my
1: God. That's so bad. <laughs>
0: I did not read that. Thank you for sharing.
1: <laughs> this is the portion of the show called Show and Hell. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> just made it exponentially worse.
0: I I mean that's pretty hurt. I'm sure I'm sure the more research you do on this, you would find there are like endless little like things like that that he probably did that aren't even talked about in like the main components of the story. Like all of the bizarre intricacies of how he cared for, preserved, and modified that body. But eventually he he does die. Um so he he lives alone, just known as like this eccentric man. Um, He still has sympathizers all up until the moment he dies and even beyond and is eventually discovered three weeks after his death in his home in the arms of the doll that he made of Yelena, which people have also gravitated towards. And they were like, that's so romantic. That's so sweet. I'm like, that's fucking sick and sad and horrible.
1: Let me just say this because I am one... Straight people are crazy. <laughs> we are all nuts. Got to like,
0: got to be put down. <laughs> got to be taken away. Like,
1: <laughs>
0: I was like, uh, enough. Absolutely enough. It's so. This is actually. I wanted to dive a little bit into like some of the research that I did on necrophilia, which you probably heard a little bit of when you came onto the call. <laughs>
1: Creepy sitting here for like. <laughs> when I logged on to record had me on mute, and I literally heard him muttering to himself about (laughs) necrophilia.
0: I was like that woman from the Hunger Games who's like, TikTok,
1: TikTok, literally.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just like childhood trauma. (laughs) Well, okay, so to jump into that, though, this is from a medical report um, and a review that I was reading. It covered 122 international cases talking about the manifestation of necrophilic acts or fantasies and how to distinguish them. So there, is, there are a couple of distinguishing factors between genuine necrophilia from pseudo-necrophilia, which I think is interesting, and classify um, what is true necrophilia by these three types. There is necrophilic homicide, where what the main component to um, sexualizing the dead body is that you had to be the one to kill it. Um, and then there is also regular necrophilia just the sexual attraction and act of you know, performing sex acts with a dead body and then there is necrophilic fantasy neither psychosis mental disability nor sadism appear to be inherent in anyone who suffers from necrophilia which shocks me um, but the most common motive like I was saying for necrophilia is the possession of an unresisting and unrejecting partner so something happened to Carl Tanzler, at some point in his life, I would assume in his developing years, that created this in his mind. Although a lot of people would challenge me on that and argue that he was not necessarily obsessed with dead bodies. It just happened to be her. However, necrophiles often choose occupations um, or fields that put them in direct contact with corpses at some point. And I think it's interesting that he chose to go into a medical profession um, and we know this, I think, because some necrophiles um, who are homicidic necrophiles, or no, that's not the right way to say that, mm. necrophilic homicide <laughs> people, <laughs> they, homicidic, <laughs> 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 that's, that's going on merch, Yes. Um, they, they don't, even if they have close contact with corpses, it's not enough for them. They have to be the ones to have ended that life to then enjoy the necrophilic fantasy. How do you feel about that, Dr. Stu?
1: Um, I think that is so astute of you to say there must have been something that happened to him. And uh, it's funny Mm -hmm. because I was thinking um, in the research that what tipped me off to this necrophilic tendency first was that as a young man, he was having these visions of like basically a ghost telling him about Mm -hmm. this beautiful woman that he was going to fall in love with. Like... He seemed to romanticize like these characters of death, sort of. Um, Yeah. And I remember thinking, that's really weird. Like, as a young man, you're not fantasizing from a ghost. You're fantasizing because you're watching, you know, whatever, or you're reading magazines. Like, it's very real. It's on this earth. So I think it's bizarre. And that's kind of what I was saying at the beginning of the podcast that I feel like he felt this, like, other, like, esoteric kind of feeling about Mm -hmm. whoever this woman was and like it was out of this world aka not in the alive world like in death Mm -hmm. i feel like he had that attraction from a very young age
0: totally he's also operating on a different plane of reality Mm -hmm. too because even as an adult i mean i'm assuming this is an extension from childhood he doesn't really seem to understand how the real world works. I mean, even with this, some of this medical knowledge that he has, which apparently he was fine enough with to execute his job as a technician. um, He doesn't seem to understand this idea of like death being finite, which I think is also interesting that even from a young age, like you're talking about, that line was blurred for him, not only between what's real and what's fantasy, but also death and alive can coexist in the same moment. Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe that's how he was able to justify like living with a corpse is okay. And if I shoot her off into space, the radiation will bring her back to life. You know, that's entirely possible in my adult brain. That's, there's something, like you said, there's a screw loose, but I think it it came from, it started very, very young. Yes. Some kind of imbalance and disconnection from reality, which I don't know that you're born with. If we're talking about like a nature versus nurture, I think something happened to him as, as a child.
1: I think so, too. I mean, I think with a lot of these cases, something like it's almost like the the brain chemistry is like sitting there kind of dormant, and then there's an inciting incident mm-hmm. that like takes it over the edge almost um
0: it's like waiting to be shaped,
1: yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, it's also i mean to shift from him to talking about her corpse and just like I think this this was the first time that I had ever approached a conversation and really thought critically about what it means to have autonomy over a corpse. Because I think a lot of people like to, you know, chalk up death and, and what happens to their body after they die to saying, well, whatever, I'm dead, it doesn't matter. But this is a great example and a great point, I think, about like, respect for the corpse and having autonomy over one's body even after death. Because anything that happened to her, despite her being dead, was so, so deeply wrong and so violating and such a it's beyond just, like, the desecration of, like, physical remains. It's, like, it's a true, like, hijacking of her person, you know, and her legacy and, and then how she was supposed to rest after she died, tragically.
1: Absolutely. And her poor family, like, having to kind of let this guy walk all over them so that they could financially <sighs> be okay. And uh, you know what else I read is that she was, even though she was very sick, she was really adamant that she did not want to be with him. Like apparently he proposed multiple Mm -hmm. times and she told him and told her family, no, this guy is so like, and her parents at one point were kind of like, why? Like, he seems like a nice guy. He's rich. He's older, whatever. And she was like, no, the guy's like way older than me and I'm sick as hell. I don't want to marry him. Um, Yeah. And for context, they'd only
0: known each other for like three months, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, God. Yeah. It's such a, it's a wretched story, but it's even worse that he got away with it. He got away with what he did, and it went down in history as I think one of the darkest tales of modern-day necrophilia, but also um, horrible injustice. I'm surprised I didn't finish this whole bottle through that story.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, the whole bottle's in your damn glass. (laughs) I'm
0: not kidding. I poured one glass Half the bottle's gone. Half oh the bottle's God. gone. The only thing that got me through that that story was Nancy Grace. I know. It's the only. Thing. There was a tube found <laughs> inside of her.
1: You, you. What also killed me is that you said right after that you said a word that I was like, "Wow." I'm sure Nancy Grace used that word, which is "rose."
0: A rose. <laughs> <laughs> She lives within me. She lives inside of my she heart. She does. Enough with the ruse. Uh, what's something else she would say? Something that's like um, a synonym for shenanigans, but I can't think.
1: Tomfoolery. Oh, um,
0: Tomfoolery for sure. Um,
1: Tomfoolery. Oh, God. Let me think of some real The good. smoke
0: and mirrors. Smoke and mirrors <laughs> feels something. <laughs> that's not she was. Enough with the smoke and mirrors. I've been around long enough to know. Like,
1: <laughs> She talks as if she's been like
0: w- walking around as a prosecutor for like seventy years.
1: I know. Oh my god, how old is she? I wonder now. Thirty-five. Thirty-five. Yeah, I was going to say she's been preserved,
0: <laughs> frozen in time. In time.
1: Oh, she's my mom's age. Oh my gosh. Okay. No way. Well, Wait. they were
0: they were friends. They right? were friends.
1: Nancy Grace's birthday is this coming Sunday.
0: Oh, I'll be lighting a candle. Same. <laughs> Praying to, <laughs> to the all-godly Nancy Grace. Siri, set oh a reminder that Nancy
1: Grace's birthday is <laughs> this Sunday. <laughs> it
0: was like, Alexa, Alexa, this Sunday, 3 p.m. reminder, buy candles. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, okay, and oh, nice. I guess
0: with that, we can finally conclude the horrific and chilling story of Tanzler's doll. We should do more like this, I think, that talk about, um, there is a great, great episode of My Favorite Murder where they go over historical cases of people being buried alive, (gasps) and then it's discovered later that they were buried alive. That, I don't think anything's had, like, so much of an impact on me as that.
1: Okay, if you want, like, a bonus episode, I could do like, one of the most famous buried alive cases was in Wilmington at my church.
0: (gasps) You told me this. Yes. Oh my God. Yeah. How did, how did they, how did they find out though? So,
1: uh, okay. Again, kind of a similar situation to this story, but not based in necrophilia, but, um, it was, uh,
0: it all ties back. Right. It always ties back.
1: It was in the 1700s in Wilmington Mm -hmm. and this guy and his friend, and he was a prominent guy in society. They were riding their horses And he ended up hitting a branch, knocked him off the horse. They thought that he was dead. Like, the doctors pronounced him dead. He was just unconscious, I guess. Terrible doctor. Mm -hmm. And they ended up uh, burying him alive. And I think it's... Because they
0: did it so quickly. It would happen, like, within a couple of days.
1: Yeah. And uh, I think the guy's name was, it was like Sam something. I can look it up. But um, he... Basically started having, the friend started having these recurring dreams that that Sam was like, please get me out. Please get me out. Like, I'm alive. I'm alive. And so it was starting to drive the guy nuts. And he was like, I swear, if we don't do this, like, I'm going to go crazy. So sure Mm -hmm. enough, they exhumed the grave and, or exhumed the body out of the grave. And they opened the casket. There's fingernails. There's blood. And the guy had been buried alive. And then based off of this case and a couple of oh other really God. famous ones is why they started putting the bells in the, the yeah yeah in the grave.
0: You know, what's the craziest part about the story that you just told me is that it mirrors so many of the other stories that mm-hmm. have to do with people having dreams that the people, the people underground are alive. Yeah. Isn't that so strange? So There's a really strange. famous one with a husband and wife and the same exact thing. He was having, she had died. I think she, she hit her head on something, um, and it was the same exact situation, concussed or unconscious, coma, whatever it was, buried, alive, they did not know. He is having these intense dreams of her screaming from inside a casket, so much so that he does the same thing. He's like, we have to to dig her up. I I can't sleep, I can't stop thinking about it. They think he's grief-stricken. They open the casket, all of her fingernails are gone. And she had, and beyond that, beyond the scratches, the blood and her fingernails being literally scratched off, at one point she had accepted her fate and had gone insane and pulled all of the hair mm-hmm. out of her scalp mm. i would probably start a bell system at that point <laughs> I, would. <laughs> I would like but that's not the only system that they've done historically to make sure that someone's dead. They use they did a tube system for a long time where <laughs> there would be a little a circle. <laughs> don't talk about a tube. I
1: was going to say you are pushing this tube <laughs> narrative. But
0: they, it was like um basically like a hole down to the the casket that would directly like go to the face of the deceased so that a grave um uh, I don't know watchman could like go and like periodically check and just look down the center of the tube to be, like, still dead.
1: Like, <laughs> <laughs> that would be an incredible interview to do is, like, with a grave watchman.
0: Are they still around? Of course they, they must be, I they guess. They must be. Secure. Maybe they're just, like, relabeled as, like, yeah. standard security now. Yeah. <laughs> Not yeah. quite, like like, with a, a lantern and, like, a cat, <laughs> like, <laughs> prancing under a full moon.
1: Why not? i I would. That that seems that seems honestly off that we ever decided they should just be treated like normal security. Like there's pomp and circumstance <laughs> that I enjoy about that.
0: Well, I just wonder, like, when they roam, are they just truly walking, like, wandering through cemeteries at night under the full moon? It's like,
1: Ooh. well, Ooh. honestly, <laughs> honestly, probably to look out for people like freaking Carl Tansler, like wackos yeah. that would either like not try to actually a cemetery yeah probably not actually try to get a corpse but like to Mm -hmm. just you know graffiti or i don't know if there's anything valuable like within a tomb possibly try to get it like that's kind of why they existed i think in the first place
0: can i tell you a crazy ass story i don't know if i've ever told you this (laughs) No. So when I was, like, 15, I had a lot of friends in high school who were, like, a little bit older than me, like, 16, 17. Like, they were seniors while I was, like, a sophomore. And we went out one night to the movies. We were going to see one of the Halloweens. So this had to be, like, I don't know, like, around, like, 2009 or 10, I think. So we go out to the movies. It was, like, one of my first times getting into a rated R movie because, like, one of the friend's moms, she was very much, like, I'm a cool mom kind of thing. So I'm mm-hmm. going to get you guys in. Like, you know, can I watch with you kind of thing? <laughs> Looking back, what a wretch. But oh, she got us to the movie, spooked as hell. So she's our ride. So she comes and picks us up. And we're going like back to our town, to the Rose Hill Cemetery. We're passing it. And someone mentioned it in the car. And she was like, you want to have a thrill? Hooks a right into the cemetery. This is now 1 in the morning. It's pitch black outside. And no one, like, locked the gates to the cemetery because they're like, what f***ing wacko is breaking into a local cemetery after midnight? So she's, floor I'm not kidding, we were flying in this car through, like, the narrow roads of the cemetery in the dark. And she kept hitting the brakes and being like, wow. And we would scream. And she was like, I just saw somebody run across the road. Like, she was... Nuts and I'm s I'm fifteen, the youngest person there sitting in the back of that card. I'm like, this woman's gonna f***ing kill us. Like And that woman are... was Nancy Grace. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all wanna see I'm something? just so some...
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> You won't believe what you're about to see, but I will show you.
1: Uh, Nancy Grace I is saw wild <laughs>
0: not the nancy wagon come on
1: come on the nancy wagon oh my god
0: i was spooked as hell because like the problem the thing that freaks you out when you're like a teenager obviously it's when people do like sinister like freaky shit but when you see like parents and adults do freaky shit that you're like you're like what the hell is going on like am i safe She was a little off. I will never name names, but I remember that so vividly. And we were freaking out because nobody asked to go in there. Like nobody was egging her on. She just like floored it through a cemetery and we were like backseat passengers.
1: Insane.
0: And it was, Stu, like, because I've never been in a cemetery after dark. So like I, in my mind, I saw it like how I would see it in a movie where like there's, it's illuminated by the moon, black abyss, like looking into the ocean at night. And then like the occasional like tombstone comes in your like peripheral vision.
1: That is not it was,
0: it was it was mischief beyond mischief. You would have I think you would have
1: and you, you were hooked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and I was like and I caught the bug.
1: You caught, I caught it. The
0: <laughs> All it took was an unmedicated adult <laughs> to floor it through a cemetery at one in the morning. <sighs> oh. okay. That was such a wild ride. Thank you so much for sitting with me through this story. And thank you for, this was fun to come in with, like, dual research because you had so many, like, little tidbits that I didn't have.
1: I know. That was that was really a thrill. I loved doing we that. We should do more
0: of this. Yeah. We should, we should definitely come to the table with, like, parallel research to see what aligns. or <laughs> We can fact check each other's lives.
1: Yeah. Well, we should see also creepers, like, if you, what you like or, you know, don't like about the research we come yeah. in with. Like if there's any angles you want us to take or we, we would love to Do you to like hear. Sue
0: coming in fully blind or do you like Sue to come in as a full Nancy Grace <laughs> persona? <laughs> She's got the research. I've seen the records. <laughs>
1: Carl <laughs> Honestly, That's exactly how
0: she would say my name.
1: <laughs> our premium content should just be us in like pure, um, honest to God, like HLN intoxication. style. In- intoxication. Intoxication, <laughs> but HLN style where the two commentators and anchors are like talking at each other like this. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
0: We can even put, like, a news, like, infographic or something. Like, we'll put, like, graphics around us to, like, make it look official. (laughs) I would, we just spent a full, like, three hours doing that with wine. I would absolutely adore it. But this was great. Thank you so much. Thank you so much to Creepers for listening to this case. Thank you for the suggestion. Um, To Michael Myers, yet again, (laughs) for suggesting. (laughs) We appreciate it. We love you. And we will catch you all on another Creep Time. Bye. Bye.